From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest for this episode is Sarah Kagan, professor of gerontological nursing here at the University of Pennsylvania. She works to destigmatize aging in our society by disseminating scientific facts about the abilities of older people. In our conversation, we explore how middle-aged people can care for their elderly relatives while advancing their own careers. We also talk about how employers can help these employees at midlife by providing better support for family care. Sarah debunks three common myths about elderly people towards the end of this episode, describing how they're more lively than society might think. This episode starts with my quick summary of a New York Times article about women leaving the workplace to care for their elderly parents, which gives some context for the insights Professor Kagan provides about this trend. Now, please enjoy this episode of the Work and Life Podcast. The New York Times published an article titled, For Women in Midlife, Career Gains Slip Away, which reported some disturbing findings. The article talks about how women in their 40s and 50s, at the very peak of their earning potential, are dropping out of the workforce in drastically large numbers to care for their aging parents. Many of these women are part of what's known as the sandwich generation, people who care for both their children and their aging parents. Sandwich generation women often take the lion's share of responsibility for both elder care and child care. And this set of responsibilities forces them to leave the workforce well before they're ready. As as I hope you do, I find this article disheartening because of the largely negative effect it has on the careers of women in particular. Why do women so often take on the lion's share of responsibility for care? Men can also play a major role in caring for aging parents, even caring for in-laws. Whatever the case, I encourage you, anyone really facing elder care problems and challenges to seek resources and strategies that can help to lessen the stress and strain of elder care and thereby promote harmony between work and the rest of your life. And Sarah Kagan has identified many resources and strategies that she's going to share with us in our conversation. Sarah, welcome to Work and Life, and thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Stu. I'm thrilled to be here. And in some ways, you're enhancing my work-life balance because 
I get to end my day talking about something I'm passionate about. Were you surprised by the findings that I just referred to in that time study? No, that but important? I missed. Uh, I missed being able to tweet that. This is a hot topic. Uh, we have to recognize that, mm-hmm. for example, when we're talking about aging and elder care in almost every society around the world, we're talking about direct caregiving being provided by women, and what we call in the business instrumental caregiving, that is organizing things, financing things, being done by the the men in the family. Huh? Uh, so direct care and instrumental care, that's right. the distinction? Yeah, we tend and- to think about it in in those ways. And, and what we know from national and international surveys on family caregiving is that for the most part, wives and daughters and daughters-in-law are doing a lot of direct caregiving, which means that they have high absenteeism. More time. Yeah. I, I imagine direct care involves more time, it's, right? It's more time, and it can't be done at a distance for the most part. If you don't have the money to pay someone to do that direct caregiving for mm-hmm. you, you're probably going to have to take your father-in-law to the doctor yourself. You're not going to be able to arrange for someone else your to do that. father-in-law? What about your husband, if it's his parents? Well, I mean, we still, I think, have a gender divide there right. where the question that's what the is, study is, is, yeah. is revealing that women bear this, this cost much. much it's a, it's a disproportionate degree. load. Right. And we still have those social roles, stereotypical, though they may be, they're still stuck there for us. What suggestions do you have for people in that situation? So the first thing I really recommend is take a breather and think about what really needs to get done when and then think about who needs to do it and what resources are available. Um, it helps, honestly, to write out a plan. I know it sounds very simple, but if you see it in front of you, either on the computer screen or good old pe- paper and pencil, come to the rescue. Just map out what's going on, what needs to get done, what's a top priority, what's a lower priority. Kind of assess the situation. Then think Hard about to do that though when you're in the throes of it. Especially. It is, which is why I say step back. Mm-hmm. You, you, and and sometimes you're going to need help to step back. Maybe a neighbor, um, you know, somebody in the same situation. Yeah. Um, it may be a friend that you haven't talked to, but you know that you always connect in that way. It may be a family member. Stop thinking, especially women. I've got to do this myself, and. Sit down with the people who are involved in this older person's life, like you, other family members, but also neighbors and friends, and take advantage of the fact that almost everybody wants to help. They want to do something, but they have no clue what you need or what they can do to contribute. That may mean that you set up a meal schedule, for example, so you're not doing the cooking all the time. Mm It may mean that the uh, kid down the block who is getting ready to think about college applications would really like some kind of resume builder experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Resume Mm -hmm. builder and something that brings generations together. So put an 18 year old with an 88 year old and both of them are going to learn good things. We need so much more of that in our society. Don't you think, Sarah? I think it's invaluable. What else can they do aside from assessing what the priority, you know, action items are for them to deal with and getting help with those? What else can they do to stay engaged in their work lives and the other parts of their lives that matter? So I always recommend that uh, people look for their local area agency on aging. Um, So that's called an area agency on aging. 
um, every county or sometimes counties consolidate, but every place in America has access. Here in Philadelphia, yeah. we have a wonderful um, area agency on aging. It's called the Philadelphia Corporation for Aging. It might help people to know that many cities in the Northeast um, have really well-developed AAAs because they're dealing with huge populations of older people. Here in Philadelphia, our elder population, people over the age of 65, numbers 19% now. Um, that, Is that a lot? Uh, yeah, that puts us at number two. Um, of major uh, cities? Of major cities. Um, number one, I believe, um, uh, is Pittsburgh. Um, and that shouldn't really surprise us if we think about the fact hmm. that old industrial cities um, uh, is sort of in the eastern half of the United States are populated by people who worked their whole lives. They worked in factories. They worked in service. They're not the folks who are retiring to the Sun Belt. They're the people who worked all their lives to have a home of their own. And now that they're in it, they've got to stay in it, um, especially after 2008 and the financial crash. Mm -hmm. And that means that cities like Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Detroit are places where you find Lots of older people, and they've got family members who are trying to figure out, what do I do? Well, reach out to your area agency on aging. Almost all of them are online. You can just do a simple Google search for your county. And what kinds of support and and services does the area agency on aging provide? a huge array of of services. Many of them are based on financial need because we've got to figure out who needs them first, but not all of them are. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I love for any family is that you can find out what else is going on to support elder care in your community. So you may be eligible financially for some very specific services based on your health and social needs as well as your financial status, but you can find out what's going on here, who can I reach out to, and how can they help. A reminder, folks, you are listening to the Work and Life podcast. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and University of Pennsylvania professor Sarah Kagan is my guest. Sarah has provided some great resources and strategies for women and men caring for elderly relatives. I want to emphasize the usefulness of taking a step back from day-to-day care of an elderly relative. This way, caregivers can identify the people in their communities who can provide assistance. Then, caregivers need to make a plan. This very simple process helps a lot to improve harmony between work and the rest of your life. Now, in the next part of the podcast, Sarah and I talk about intergenerational relationships and how they're beneficial to both the young and the old. We then finish our conversation by talking about myths related to elderly people and steps businesses can take to support their middle-aged employees who are caring for elderly relatives. It's sort of like work-life balance. Um, There's a balance between within and outside your generation. So generational identity gives us a a sense of shared experience, a shared history, um, and in technical terms, we call that a cohort effect. You become a cohort by sharing experiences large and small um, that may be uh, earth-shattering. For example, the, the millennial generation really understands the world in terms of 
uh, September 11th um, and and what 9-11 means. Um, And we can think back to uh, a different generation who came of age during World War II. With that, we connect with people of our own age. Right. We we understand what this it cohort was like. identity. What's wonderful about intergenerational exchange is that we soon find in telling the stories of our generation that the young that, people are bored about them. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> finish your thought. You were going to say that something you else. You must be a parent because <laughs> I sort of think, yeah, but wow, what does that mean? We don't want to hear about like? the Beatles anymore, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> But in some ways they do, right? Of course they do. Because that fascination is, whoa, that's kind of a funky outfit. I I rather like those jeans. Bell bottoms, really? Um, we get this conversation going mm-hmm. that sometimes is about, yeah, yeah, heard this before. But secretly, especially for teenagers, is about, oh, whoa, so maybe he really does know what I'm going through mm. just a little bit. In the in those moments of insight. What we do is foster a much larger sense of understanding around who we are as people, what it means to live a good life, and how it is to really come away from interactions with other people with a sense of meaning, of value, of contentment. And part of what I love about intergenerational relationships is that, you know, It doesn't have to be about what you know and how you think about things and the decisions you make. It can be about listening to music together. It can be about gardening um, and having that wonderful experience of putting your hands in the earth and planting something and just watching it grow. That is not so much a cognitive experience as it is a sensory experience, as it is an aesthetic experience. And it could be therapeutic, really, for anyone for involved everybody. in that, for both parties, the caregiver and, and the, the elder, uh, who, who might not be able to think as clearly uh, and you know put logical ideas together, but can still enjoy that aspect of life. So what is the biggest myth in our society in, in, in terms of aging, and, and how does that play out in terms of what it is that you know, that people uh, are most distracted and distraught by. You're going to make me pick one? Well, no, you can uh, choose your top okay, three. Okay, I'll, I'll go for that? my top three. There you go. My my top three. I think my my first one would be that you lose capacity, that um, you lose both physical and mental capacity as you age. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. In fact, There's a lot of research that's been around for quite some time that suggests exactly the opposite. And in fact, what we've seen as lost capacity uh, is probably due to things that are either related to something abnormal, a a health concern where you need to get appropriate health care to figure out what's going on, or are related to disuse. Um, that is, you're socially isolated, you're physically inactive, you're mentally inactive, and you're losing what you can do because you're not keeping up. Um, and while your chances of losing function more rapidly kind of increase as you age, I think this we can see this again in people of any age. I mean, if you've got a sedentary teenager who's sitting in front of her computer 18 hours a day, She's not going to have great physical tolerance. She's not going to have great physical capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also true if you're 90 years old. Um, it's just going to happen a little bit more quickly. I think my second uh, least 
uh, favorite or most disturbing uh, myth is that um, it's normal to lose uh, your ability to focus and think through problems as you age so that uh, memory problems, um, getting confused are all seen as normal. And you'll you'll hear this as, oh, well, you know, he's he's 86. He's entitled. Well, no, what we do is expect that um, wrongly. We expect people to become confused and have poor memory as we age. And so we don't recognize it as not normal. And as a result, we we almost don't see it. It becomes invisible. It's the, the I call it the myth of invisibility. That is, if you say, oh, well, older people who are sick um, and in the hospital are supposed to be confused, I can't do anything about it, then no one will do anything about it. And that's exactly the wrong it's thing to do. self-perpetuating. It, it becomes very self-perpetuating. Mm-hmm. And I think um, my third um, least uh, favorite bit of information is probably around intimacy and sex. And and that connects with so, social isolation. You know, your chances of being widowed um, grow uh, it, as you get older, um, whether That's you're right. in a same-sex um, or um, opposite-sex um, relationship, mm-hmm. um, whether you're legally married or in a, a partnership. And I think that we, again, become sort of complacent about, well, you don't really need to have anyone kiss you and say, I'm so glad you're here today or um, to hold you in those dark moments of the night. And I just don't process how that's possible. And of course that's connected to social isolation because there are lots of different levels of social interaction from very intimate to less intimate. And we, I think, sort of still live in this world of, well, you know, you're old, you're going to be living alone, you are widowed, hope you're able to get out sometimes, or, gosh, hope your family comes over and takes you out for so that weekly or monthly creates visit. creates a sense of dependence and an expectation of uh, inactivity and uh, lifelessness almost. It really right? does. I mean, that's... And it shouldn't be that way. It it. it not only shouldn't be that way, it really isn't. And I will often say to people when I'm speaking, hey, I want you to think about the oldest person you know personally. Okay. Okay? Now, tell me about that person. And I never hear a stereotype of old age. I never what hear... Do you hear? feeble, incapacitated. What I hear are amazing stories, Um, especially from my students at Penn Nursing, my undergraduate students. They often have parents um, who are supporting grandparents or great-grandparents, and they're living together in multi-generational households, or um, they're uh, so, sort of distantly supporting those people, those family members. And what I hear are incredible stories. The 103-year-old great-grandmother who's still living in her own home, doing all of her own housework and, and cooking, and asking, do you want to come over for dinner? Um, the uh, great-uncles and great-aunts who have incredible stories, life stories of adventure that they're sharing with three and four generations in their family. So is there is there a word of advice that you have for, say, you know, 
people who run businesses in our society to kind of uh, address the issue of you know some of these th- some of these myths that you've raised in our last minute or so. Yeah. So um, what businesses should do is recognize that we live in an aging society and open a very explicit dialogue about family caregiving, about elder care needs, and about the wisdom and maturity that older people bring to any business and any workforce. So can you say just a little bit more about uh, the family care issue and, and how companies can be more responsive and investing really in the employees who are you know, wrestling with this dilemma of being sandwiched? Well, one of the things to think about is what the, the business has in terms of resources, but f- many businesses invest in child care. I would suggest to them that now is the time to turn that around and invest in elder care, whether it's on site or through a contractor. One of the ways that you can support your workforce, support your workers, and help those midlife women stay yeah. doing what you need them to do. The people we were talking about at the top of the hour. To make it a whole lot easier for them to take care of their older family members. And how do they do that in, in a, in a You can have on-site uh, um, support. You can have resources for ill elder care. You can have home care referral services. You can have an occupational health nurse who helps your workforce figure out on an individual basis, what do I need to do for my family? Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here in the studio. Uh, your wisdom about the aging of our world is so deep and so rich and so important. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah Kagan. She provided both practical tips for middle-aged people caring for elderly parents and advice about how businesses can better meet the needs of their employees in this situation, of whom there are many. It is disheartening to hear that so many women are forced to leave the workforce during their prime earning years to focus on caring for their elderly parents. There ought to be support for these women so they can care for their elderly parents and stay active in their careers. Professor Kagan described what families can do to achieve this by using resources such as the Area Agency on Aging. As ever, I hope you found the information in this episode to be helpful as you pursue harmony between work and the rest of life. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.